super excited to introduce you to our uh, first speaker of the morning because I have been working with her through um, some IAEM caucuses and committees um, over the last few years and she is a rock star. We've got Anne-Marie McLaughlin. She is coming to us as the Director of Emergency Management and con uh, Continuity at, at NYU. Um, she is currently the chair of the IAM Accessibility and Whole Community Inclusion Caucus, as well as the vice chair for the University and Colleges ca uh, Caucus. And she has over a decade of higher ed emergency management, including developing active threat training and exercises, which is what she is going to talk to us about today. So uh, welcome to the stage, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Well, they always say technology is unpredictable. So while they're working on uh, the slides, first off, I'm going to um, thank you for the warm welcome and I'm gonna apologize in advance for my accent. I grew up in Boston and I've been in New York City for four years. If anybody has any difficulty understanding, I can provide a transcript after the presentation. All right, I love following that presentation because that presentation was all about doing the right thing. And I feel like what I'm about to offer is about doing the right thing, and I take no credit. We're gonna be talking about civilian active threat training. I think I'm preaching to the choir here when we say there's a need for training. Uh, this chart is from the FBI. I won't read all the numbers on the chart, but essentially you see the line going up. These uh, scenarios are not going away. And of course, again, I recognize that this audience first responders, military, emergency managers, um, folks in the room probably know what an active shooter is. I'm at NYU, we had a shooting, gang shooting down in Brooklyn, one of our students got shot. It was a targeted shooting. Two people didn't like each other and somebody got in the crossfire. Everybody wanted active threat training. It's not the same thing, and we know that. We, we've broadened the term as things have happened. It's active shooter. First it was active shooter, now active threat. And again, recent news, Ethan Crumbly. And then back in, in my neck of the woods up north, we had the, uh, the stabbing at MoMA. The good news is, start off with bad news, we'll follow up with some good news, preparedness can help. This is why I'm in this business. I assume that for a lot of people in this room, that's why you're in this business too. We wanna to help people. The recent uh, hostage taking at the synagogue in Texas, the rabbi said that the active threat training that their congregation received helped them survive. In my hometown, Brigham and Women's Hospital, there was a shooting and people said how helpful the active threat training was. Walmart, again and again, you can find examples of people saying, you know what, that was really helpful. So why should we worry about being inclusive? What does it even mean? We'll get into that. The argument for inclusion, these statistics, there's a chart that shows, it's from the CDC, it's current. 26% of adults in the United States have some type of disability. Visible disability, invisible disability, 26%. So if we're not thinking about these people, and these people means us, because we 
you know, there are people in this room with disabilities, access or functional needs. We have to stop stigmatizing this because it's so widespread and things can change. Skiing accident, you know, a friend of mine, perfect physical condition, got hit by a car. He's in crutches and he said, you know what, Emory, now I'm seeing what you're talking about. 26%, if we don't plan for that, what are we, we're at a 74, what is that, a C? We're not doing our jobs. Again, all different kinds of disabilities, right? Mobility, intellectual, cognition, there's functional needs, people who are, you know, who are not able to live independently, hearing, vision, folks who need extra support. Now, these are old slides. The photos that you will see in this slide and the following slide are from dated events. And this tells you how long I've been talking about this, because I would speak to people in leadership positions, including people in DC, and it was as if the, the idea like, well, I don't know, are, are, do we really need to do this? Like, why is this relevant? And I started going through media accounts, looking at footage, finding people to show, look, look, there are people, there's a person who uses a wheelchair. Here's somebody with a cane, San Bernardino. Here's somebody, look, these folks, when we talk about whole community, we mean whole community. We're all out there. So now we're gonna see if this works or not. Technology, we'll try the next one. Okay. Well, they worked this morning. So the first, before we move on to this slide, has everybody seen the Ready Houston Run, Hide, Fight video? Show of hands. If you haven't seen it, you should see it because it's, it's, uh, it was groundbreaking, right? Everybody, it's Houston. Houston got money, they made this video, and everybody's using it. 2012. Everybody's using it. Why? Because it was short. It, 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 was, it was helpful, right? It missed the whole access and functional needs piece. So as important as it was, as good as it was, didn't help everybody. It helped everybody who could identify with the fit people, now watch the video through this lens. Imagine that you are somebody who has a disability and it becomes a different kind of video. If you can, if you can identify with the folks sprinting to safety or pushing heavy copier machines in front of the door or being ready to fight, you, you felt like, oh, this is a very helpful video. I have an experience of working at UMass Boston. UMass Boston is an urban public institution. It is welcoming to veterans, including many veterans with disabilities. In addition to the large veteran population, there are like, like every place else, pick a university and there are people with disabilities studying there and working there. And I was in front of a room similar to this one, showed the Ready Houston video, and of course, 
Boston, you may, I may be telling a secret here. Not afraid to speak up. Lady raises her hand. This isn't going to help me. What do you say? What could I say? You listen. We broke it down to a small group discussion. This is Diane Kirkpatrick from UMass Boston Police. She's still there. And what we did was we said, you know what? We're so sorry. You know what? Looking at that video that we presented to you, you're right. Let's have a small group discussion. Let's discuss this. I don't want to skip over the FBI video. The FBI video is recent, 2020. If you go to FBI, if you Google FBI active threat, active shooter, it will come up. It's in a bar room and shooting breaks out and people, it's, it's run, hide, fight in a bar room. Once again, it's been a decade almost. No lessons learned, right? There's nobody, you know, are we saying that people with disabilities aren't in bar rooms? or aren't in schools or aren't in offices. We know that's not true. How can we do better? And it really takes people speaking up. And of course, I asked Diane Murphy, can I use your picture? Can I use your story? Because I think you can help illustrate the story better than I can. And this is what she said. And this is her plea to us. Every community has a Diane Murphy saying, okay, what am I supposed to do? Okay, now, and here's the problem. People mean well. So when I go through this list, I'm not be trying to be critical. I think it helps to acknowledge the problem to fix the problem. So some, some approaches say, okay, well, let's, we're just gonna act like this issue doesn't exist. And if you see those two videos, Ready Houston and the more recent FBI video, it's like this isn't an issue. Okay, well these people made it, let's learn from what they did. And that would be okay if it didn't make everybody else feel like, you know what, this isn't for me, this isn't gonna help me, I can't do anything for my own survival, and that's not true. Sometimes people have the misguided idea that inclusion takes away from people. The young, fit person who's able to sprint to safety is still in the inclusive video. An inclusive video or an inclusive approach to training just offers strategies for folks who can't do that. Some approaches acknowledge that people with disabilities exist but act like they're not in the room. Or, again, well-meaning people think about them sort of as objects. Well, what do we do with them? We move them, we do this, as if they, they're not people who can be advised and taught and coached. Focusing on one disability, that's another, it's just a, you know, okay, we're gonna solve this problem, but we're not, we're not dealing with these other problems. This next one, you know, I think it's, well, you know, somebody else is gonna take care of that. It's a, there's a special training somewhere offered by somebody else. Or assume that there's no interest, it's gonna hold people back, it's gonna be a, an issue. F 
focusing only on a particular set of responsibilities, fire, EMS, police, transit, rather than civilian empowerment strategies. Now, it's perfectly fine if you have training that's meant for firefighters, meant for police, meant to focus on the police needs, the fire needs, et cetera. And that's what that training is for. When you do that training, though, it's good to do it with people who have disabilities who are there to advise you. I was at a, I was at a videotaping, and I don't even want to, I'm not going to mention where it was, because I was assisting, it wasn't my agency. And they put sunglasses on someone and gave them a cane and had them walk through. You never do that, right? You go find somebody who is blind, who uses a wheelchair, who represents this group, and you, you invite them in, you show some respect. You know, th this idea that inclusion takes away rather than adds, I think is wrong, and I think I learned, I learned it over the years by doing this. It's not all bad, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Um, 2015, this planning and response to an active shooter, an interagency security committee policy and best practices guide. Easy to find on the internet. I assume the slides will be available. It's in there, There's a, it, the focus is on notification, but at least it's in there. We did a webinar for IAEM, it's on the website, and we included some folks who are doing some interesting things, including the MBTA, the subway in Boston. They bring in loads of people who have disabilities to assist with their exercises. Now, the exercises are not for the people with the disabilities, but they bring them in as partners to help their you know, subway drivers, their, um, their police officers, et cetera. Los Angeles is another one. They're doing some interesting things. DHS, CISA, they're, they're trying. There's a video on there, options for, for consideration, which is a very tame title. They have somebody who uses a wheelchair in there. It's a low budget film, it's not flashy, it's not particularly well polished. And um, Cal OES has probably the only, the only that I've found. If you've found better, let me know but this is sort of like codified guidance from an official source. You know, and this isn't to throw anybody under the bus. Why is it difficult? Well, there's no comprehensive set of guidelines. I did, a, I did something with that webinar for IAEM. I know some of the folks at NFPA, and I said, hey, we're doing a webinar, and I noticed that you're NFPA 3000 standard on active shooters, active threat, doesn't really have a whole lot about disabilities, access, functional needs. Would you want to join this webinar and invite feedback? And good for them, they stepped up and they were on there and they invited folks to, to um, offer feedback. If you look at the ADA, there's nothing about active threat. There's no comprehensive, there's no like federal, if you're a person with a disability and you go to the federal resources, you can find some advice, but if you're a municipality, if you're a school, if you are in charge of developing this kind of training, there's not a lot of do's and don'ts, not a lot of communication with advocates, and collaboration is difficult. Okay, this is a famous Craig Fugate quote, 
We plan for real. This is all about planning for real. So here are some photos from a UASI exercise I got to participate in because I helped with the planning of it. And they said, do you want to sit with the VIPs? I said, oh, no, I want to, I want to be running around and getting shot at. OK. So you'll see the moulage SWAT exercise. Just imagine all these different SWAT teams coming through. You know, we, we have hostages with guns to their heads. We've got, you know, it's a real SWAT exercise. Police, I would, this is an opinion, but I think police need high intensity training because that's what they're training for. Here's Captain Obvious. First responders are a special group of people, right? High level of respect. Anybody, first responder, military, I have utmost respect. Extensive training. Typically risk takers, right? Because the danger's over there. You're running over there while everybody else is getting away, right? Different tolerance for this level of chaos. With civilians, it's a range. Not so much. You know, there could be, we did an exercise at a library. You want to talk about, if we make generalizations about fields, my, you know, my feeling about, you know, librarians tend to like order. Kind of goes with the job. Quiet and order. And we talk about, we're going to bring this active threat exercise to your library. We had to kind of earn their trust that we were not going to be freaking them out. Because if, you're, if you bring the shock and awe to the library, you say, they need to see this. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you need to see that. But maybe for them, that's going to overwhelm them so much they're not going to remember anything you taught them. Whoops. So we need to meet people at their level of training, involve stakeholders, being partners and planning with, not for, right? And it may require different trainings. At UMass, again, we had armed sworn officers. We got a, a vacant building through the Boston police, old school building. Our, our folks went in there, shock and awe. They did all they needed to do. No civilians. They did what they needed to do. Police training. High level of stress, that, the kind of training that's necessary to be able to manage an active threat scene. On campus, they participated, and it was a different level. It was a different, if that was the only training they had, the on-campus training, it wouldn't have been sufficient for them to meet their needs. But by going through the training with the civilians at maybe a, you know, a tamer pace, it allowed the civilians to learn. Because again, civilians do not have the same level of training as our police officers, our fire, our EMS. But they can, they can benefit from the training. Doing this kind of training, including people with disabilities, requires expertise, law enforcement expertise, disabilities inclusion expertise. So we have the experts. Are they talking to the other experts? How is this working out? How do we get the official first responder community engaged better with the disabilities community and bring people in so that we're able to better understand each other? You know, when we talk about planning, training, and exercising, Bringing other people in complicates things, but we end up learning and we end up increasing understanding. So 
somebody says, well, run, hide, fight. Run is not inclusive. Okay, well, let's think about other words because we're not going to change. The government says run, hide, fight. It is easy to remember. You know, New York City, they have avoid, barricade, counter because NYPD is NYPD. Same idea, right? But we've got run, hide, fight at the federal level. So we play around with it and we acknowledge that running for some people may, be, may look different. For training, if we're doing training, we always ask, is it accessible? Digital accessibility is a big thing. Um, one thing, when you build the partnerships, you have experts you can rely on and say, hey, is this PDF accessible? Can you help me out with this? Very important. And again, I mentioned the exercises. When you're thinking about inclusion, there's so many pieces of it. And this is why maybe a lot hasn't been done because it's complicated. You know, you think about notification. How do people get notified? We did an exercise with some folks, including some folks who were blind, and they said, you know, it wouldn't occur to me to turn the lights off in my office when I got the text alert. Or somebody who is deaf understanding that um, the way that I receive my notification, if, if there's a loudspeaker announcement, is there going to be a digital signage announcement too? Or how will I find out? You know, helpers, the issue of help is important. Do you just run and grab somebody or is there a conversation? Or if you need help, can you ask other people? All of this came up through exercises. Calling 911 and communicating to 911 and communicating to first responders. Again, some people with autism, I'm sure folks in the room know this, may not respond to commands as directed. And help increase the understanding is so important. Exercises are super helpful. Not everybody will be up to participate even in a toned down, tame exercise. Not everybody will, up for, will be up for it, but that's okay. Those who will can, can be helped and, and will help you, I would suggest. We learned a lot. And the way you learn a lot is by asking people things. Again, I think I made this point. With first responder exercises, and again, I was involved in a lot of the UASI exercise, state police exercises in, in Boston, and there's a lot of control, which is important, and civilians, civilian actors are there to be helped, and that's good, that's appropriate, right, be for that exercise. If you're, if you're a MEP, if you, if you know HCP, you know exercises are based on your objectives, and if you're training, testing the police response, that's okay. But if you want to do something interesting, think about a, an exercise that includes civilians in a way that helps the civilians learn. Now, there's more predictability if you have a police exercise because you're following, you're following a script, right? And you know the training is this and you're going to do that. Less predictability with civilians. We already established the fact there's not really a lot of guidance. Like, what am I supposed to do? There's less predictability, but I would venture to say that that's a good thing. Can anybody tell me why that might be a good thing? Exactly, it's real. And it takes humility to say, okay, I'm gonna do an exercise and I don't know what these people are gonna do. We're gonna make sure we keep everybody safe. We're gonna have safety officers. We're gonna, we're gonna talk and we have to sort of take off our, you know, I'm the police where we're, this is, this is, you know, we have to say, you know what, we're dealing with people who don't have our level of training. 
but we can learn from them, right? So this is Chris Goldie. He was on my train every morning. He was a wheelchair user. And I was trying to get folks to participate in an active threat exercise. We're trying to get more civilians, and we wanted to learn, really, for this whole idea of, of uncertainty. How do people with disabilities think about these situations? What will they do? If we put a bad guy in there, it's a controlled situation. Everybody knows that it's all fake. But we put a bad guy in there. What's Chris going to do? I wanted Chris to participate. He looked up at me and said, Ian Marie, it's not worth it. I'm just going to die. If that happens, I'm going to die. There's nothing I could possibly do. And from that day on, I thought, well, you know what? And he, and he, didn't, he didn't end up doing it. But it did make me realize we have to do better. We have to give people a sense that, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's, you know, these, these events are so unpredictable. But are there things we can do for Chris and people like Chris to help them have some faith that they might survive? So we did a bunch of inclusive exercises. This is Valerie Haven here in the photo. She is now in, the, in our uh, IAM caucus with Justin Camo. He's the emergency manager up at UMass. Uh, and and she was, here she is helping plan the exercise. Um, we did a number of these that included folks from FEMA Region 1, the disability integration folks. We, and it does, it's hard work. It takes lots of meetings and it takes lots of talking with people and it takes a strong focus on safety. You don't want to hurt people physically, you don't want to hurt people emotionally. Um, we had an institute for community inclusion at UMass. Its whole focus is on uh, helping people with disabilities find work, find jobs. Um, and here is a staff member who has an intellectual disability, and we convinced him to clean out all the crap from under his desk so that he would have a place to hide if there was a problem. And he was very proud of himself and wanted his photo taken. This is Jen Bose. She was a little bit iffy about participating. This was an exercise where one of our officers simulated a bad guy and we had, a tr we had briefings before, and I said, that's okay, if you don't want to participate, you can be a controller first, and you can sit by the elevator and let people know if somebody gets off the elevator that we're doing a police exercise. That will be your job. She was very happy to do that job. She didn't want to be in the place where the bad guy was. Second round, she practiced her response, and she wanted us to know it took her a step. Right? She had to kind of understand, because again, who can blame these folks? There's no official guidance. What am I supposed to do if I'm blind and there's a shooter? She ended up, she was the one who made the comment about the lights, and there was a good discussion about, well, how would we help each other? People like the idea of a buddy system, but you can't really rely on your buddy being there that day. Police military, you train for, okay, if something bad happens, I have training. I know what I'm going to do. I am ready. The rest of us, it's a, who knows? I would like to think I'd be the hero of the day, but I don't know that, right? So we had a chance to practice that. So we had this meeting, and if you're not the, the touchy-feely, let's talk about our feelings person, but you know active threat preparedness, you know active threat response, you know police response, partner up with somebody who can, you know, talk to people and will sit there and say, you know, what was that like? Did you know what to do? Because you learn stuff. These folks, you know, they, they had 
I'm on my own. Well, you know what? It's terrible to be on your own, right? It, it, it's frightening. But you know what? It's better to know, well, you know what? I could be on my own. So if I'm on my own, how am I going to act, right? It's training. There was teamwork happened. People who didn't have disabilities wanted guidance about, well, what should I do? And we need more research. We're not, we're not done yet. So if you are, so I'm encouraging folks to think about how would it look in your part of the world if you did something like this. Here's Valerie, she was in the room, so let me set the stage here. It's a classroom, obviously. The bad guy's in the classroom holding a bunch of kids hostage and Valerie, and Valerie, this helper, appeared out of nowhere and decided I'm gonna help Valerie, which worked out pretty well. The two of them were in the back of the room there. This young kid, police officer, he comes into the room, he's got the bad guy there, he's focused on the bad guy, and then Valerie calls out, I'm blind and I have a cane. And I'm looking at this kid's eyes, he's like, you know, like what? It was good training for him, right? Because here's another surprise. And he did a great job, by the way. He's like, you, you, help her up. Go right this way. It was really amazing. You have to keep people safe. Psychological safety is important. We always promise with civilians, nobody's gonna bully you, or you know, nobody's gonna really treat you badly, right? When I, I, when I was the actor back at the UASI exercise, I was nose into the ground with a gun in my back because the SWAT team was afraid I was a bad guy. So like, that won't happen in a civilian exercise. We had wristbands, so we had one group, it was like the criminal justice students and the theater kids, and they're like, I'll do anything, chase me. <laughs> You know, do what you do. I want, can I be shot? And then we had the, oh, I don't know. I'm really not sure. The Jen Bose is like, can I just be a controller? Can I sit at the door? And so you have, and you tell the police, look, if you see a blue wristband, they're your people. You can go after them. Red wristband, leave them alone. Whatever you work out, right? And again, this is not the same thing as real police training where it's shock and awe and you go, you get the separate training for that. I'm not saying you take that away. So we did this, this is an actor briefing slide. We offered those choices. Um, if you are willing to, to be, to do role playing, we you know, included, this is another um, slide helping prepare people who don't normally do this, right? What's it like? You might feel afraid, but this is, you know, helping prepare people so that they, you know, so we're not hurting them. Um, so with videos, it's kind of similar to exercises, thinking about different needs, different ways of training people. Of course, you want your videos to be captioned and have audio description. There are vendors that do this kind of thing. Um, this last bullet point, assume that people with disabilities will be watching the video and expecting guidance. And I'm gonna need, could somebody run and get the tech person? Cause this is not connected to the... I think that's the problem. I think that's why the other ones didn't work either. So when we did the NYU active threat video, you can imagine, you've heard the 
people talk about New York lawyers. We have a plenty of New York lawyers at NYU and want to make sure that, you know, we were in line with best practices, that we were not mis, you know, misleading anyone, um, that we would produce a video that would meet the needs of our community. Now I'm gonna show you, thank you so much, I'm gonna show you the video that we came up with, and I will admit, it is very tame. It, it, you know, our community is our community. And you'll get a sense of, oh, thank you so much. You'll get a sense of that, and we'll just watch the video, and then that's pretty much the... And it's brief, it's like eight minutes. I'm Ariana. And I'm Jordan. And we are both members of the NYU community, just like you. And just like you, we want to promote safety on our campus. So in the next few minutes, we are going to talk specifics about what you need to do in the event of an active threat on campus, such as an attacker with a knife or a gun. We've all seen school shooter stories in the news, and nobody wants to talk about the worst case scenario. But if we think about it, and have a basic strategy to take action, it'll make you much more likely to survive. The NYPD and NYU Public Safety are our partners in protecting this campus, but we are our first and most important line of defense if we ever encounter an active threat. This is our campus, and the hard reality is that if you're at the scene, you are going to have to take action and run, hide, or fight to survive. Here's what to do in the case of an active threat on campus. Escaping the danger is the best option if you can. If you hear gunshots, get an alert on your phone, see people running or screaming, or anything else that seems like it might be an immediate threat, leave your belongings behind and get out and as far away as quickly and as quietly as possible. Get out right away, even if others stay behind. You can encourage others to go with you. Come on. Don't stay behind or hesitate because people are confused or frozen with indecision. Get yourself out of danger first and foremost. Warn other people as you go and help them escape with you if it is safe to do so. But if you sense immediate danger, just get out of there, regardless of whether they agree to follow you or not. You want to buy as much time as you can and create as much distance between you and the attacker as possible. Remember, if you can't safely go down and out the building, you can always go up. Go wherever it makes the most sense to quickly get away from the attacker. That may or may not be the same place that you came in. Remember, many of the buildings at NYU have multiple stairwells on the same floor. Try not to draw attention to yourself. Shooters look for easy targets, so the harder you are to hear, see, or find, the better. Once you are safe, call 911 to report the threat. Any information you can give police may save lives in real time. And once you are safe, try to stop others from heading into the scene. 911, yes. Police and ambulance. There's been a shooting. I don't, I don't know how many people are shot, but some people have definitely been hurt. If you can send somebody quick, please. If you can't run and get out safely, then find a secure place to hide where the active shooter is less likely to find you. Again, you want to be quick and quiet. Make sure to lock and barricade the doors and hide under furniture and behind desks. If you can do so safely, use a rubber door stop to block the door from opening. 
or a belt tightened around the door hinge to keep it shut. Improvise barricades using any heavy, large, or bulky items you can move around in the room. Put your phone on silent. A vibrating phone still makes noise and could draw attention to your hiding spot. Turn off lights, remain quiet, and stay out of the active shooter's view. Avoid huddling in the same place. Try to spread out your hiding spots to different places in the room so the attacker has less concentrated targets. Try to hide under heavy things in the room that can provide protection from bullets, such as countertops, desks, and filing cabinets. You may have to stay hidden for a while until the all clear from campus security or NYPD. If you have immediate information about the attacker's movements or location and can safely and quietly do so, text public safety using the Safe NYU app. If you have your phone on you, be on the lookout for an all clear message from NYU Public Safety, but remember to keep your phone on silent. Remember, an aggressor has a limited amount of time to commit an act of violence before the police arrive. If you can't run away or hide and your life is at risk, then do whatever you can to frustrate, slow down, or impede the attacker. In the very worst case scenario that the attacker is moving in on your location or you fear for your life, you may have to be ready to fight. Stay calm, focus, and mentally prepare to fight for your life. If all else fails, and only as a very last resort, attack the shooter with whatever makeshift weapons you can find. Sharp scissors, fire extinguishers, chairs, etc. that can disable or disarm. And when we say fight, we mean fight like hell. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid to use anything in the room as a makeshift weapon or as much force as you can muster. It is best, when possible, to work with others. The more people that attack at the same time, the harder it will be for the attacker to resist. Separate the attacker from their weapon when you can, but do not pick up the weapon. In a tense and chaotic situation, you do not want to be mistaken for the attacker. When the police arrive, leave your hands up where the officers can see them. Keep your hands in the air. Stay calm and don't make any sudden movements, and listen to the officer's instructions. Do not stop to ask the officers for help or directions when evacuating. Just proceed in the direction from which they entered the premises and follow any specific directions that they give you. Keep in mind that the police are there to stop the attacker first and foremost. They will not stop to help the injured until the attacker has been subdued or else more people may get hurt. Help for the injured will be on the way. So those are our specific tips to help you survive an active threat on campus. Remember, run first if you can. It is always best and the safest option to get away. If you can't run, hide in a secure room behind a locked and barricaded door. Stay calm, silence your phone, stay out of view, and hide behind any heavy object if you can. And if you can't hide and find yourself in the line of attack, fight for your life and team up with others to injure and subdue the attacker with whatever makeshift weapons you can find. As always, if you see something, say something. No matter where you are, keep aware of your environment and think about your exit plan. We all want to keep our campus and community safe. In the extremely rare case of an active threat on campus, following the strategies and actions we just outlined can make a difference in your safety. For more information on what to do in the case of an active threat on campus, consult the NYU Public Safety website. And to stay informed with live alerts and to help keep our campus safe, make sure to install the Safe NYU app on your phone. Remember your options, run, hide, or fight. Thank you for taking the time to pay attention and for prioritizing safety at NYU.
Okay, so for all the military and law enforcement people in the audience, he was not holding the gun correctly. <laughs> that is Brian Wummel, our project manager, who was willing to be, oops, was willing to be the bad guy. Um, so I offer the video as an example of you know, this didn't look, I, I don't think it look or looked or felt like a special needs video. We don't use that term anymore, but, this, but it was inclusive, right? The guidance was inclusive. It's not perfect by no means, right? But there's, if you hear gunshots or if you see people running and screaming, that's inclusion, right? You, you may have recognized Valerie from UMass. She uh, came and, and was a was very agreeable and, and allowed us to use her um, in the in our video um, and then that was Nick Sakura from he is a consulting um, firm as well he's from New Jersey and we were very grateful for them for their not just appearing in the video but actually offering substantive uh, advice and being willing to consult with us they weren't you know not used as examples but um, offered consultation as well so with that any questions Yes, ma'am. Yes, DAFN is Disabilities Access and Functional Needs. And we, we, we were trying to do that. And I work with a bunch of military folks I'm very, you know, very respectful of and appreciative of their service and their, um, you know, their abilities, right? Their amazing abilities. We have a great relationship because, you know, they will catch themselves. They're in, they're in their mode, right? And I have to say, you know what? We're dealing with English professors, okay? They're, they're not where you are. You have to kind of stretch a little bit. Otherwise, you'll lose them or they'll, they'll write it off. And so we, we have a great relationship where we can go back and forth and, and help, help each other learn. Any other questions? Maribel. Uh, so, in terms of meeting our access and functional needs folks where they are to get them, our folks with access and functional needs where they are, this is like really awesome. And we do a lot of, you know, education and training and things like that, but we also like, that's expecting them to Google it, right? And so, how, what suggestions have you, do you have of what you've seen that's successful? of making sure that what you're creating is getting to the people who need it? That's a good question. How do you make sure that you're reaching the people you want to reach? I think that that's something that our caucus is working on. We are always looking for um, best practices. So Vance Taylor, if, you don't, if you're at all interested in this, Vance Taylor is kind of like, talk about rock stars. He's out in Cal OEM. He works for the governor's office in California. Um, he's, he's amazing and he's done a lot. So you look at, you know, what have people done that's, you know, that's interesting. At NYU, we have a lot of academics who do research and, and outreach in this area. So we try to connect with them. Right now I have a, a School of Global Public Health intern working on a survey and the survey is gonna go out to emergency managers. I hope everybody in this room gets it. It's also going to go out to people with disabilities, access functional needs. How are we going to find them? We're going to have interns looking for 
organizations, nonprofits, et cetera, because as emergency managers, we say, look at all this good stuff. Here's my video. Didn't I do a good job? I showed you my video, right? That's my video. I may think it's awesome, but what do people in the community think? And it, it's difficult to do that, right? Because we're very happy with our video. I got into this business. Um, I was a new emergency manager at UMass in, in 2008, and I did my first EOP. I was so proud. I had all these, it's beautiful. It's done, I follow all this stuff. My ADA coordinator, ADA compliance officer said, Aunt, she's from the Bronx. People from the Bronx are not shy. Anne-Marie, this plan does not serve our community. I was just like, got upset, felt bad, shameful, like, oh. But you know what, she was right. I had to kind of say, you know what? I need to learn more about this. And that's what got me here. Um, I don't, somebody at IAEM said, well, you're gonna be our consultant, right? I'm not a consultant. I guess I'm an activist. I don't know, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm somebody who's still learning too. The only reason I'm here is to share what we did. And if you learn from it, I would hope that you would go even further and, and develop it more. And that I would be learning from you at the next one. Anything else? All right. Oh, in the back. Where am I? Oh. The video's from NYU. So if you Google NYU, New York University, active threat video, it'll pop up. And the two earlier ones that didn't play, I think are really well known, the Ready Houston run hide fight, and then FBI has the active shooter one, it's in a bar. Great videos, high production value, really good. Some of the low production value videos are pretty bad, like the 80s guitar riffs with like, dun -dun -dun, this could happen to you, and you know. <laughs> shock and awe, terror. It's like, yeah, you think that's cool, but your average person is either scared by that or they think it's cheesy, right? You have to get it down. Yes, sir. I am so glad you asked that question. Whenever we do something like this, somebody will say, this should be mandatory, this was really good, we should make everybody do this. Guess what? If somebody almost lost their life crouching under a table because somebody was going around shooting, they may not be up for it, right? If somebody says, you know what, I don't feel comfortable, no issues. I don't need to know. We did one in, in UMass and somebody's niece, nephew, somebody was gunned down on the streets of Austin the year before. She didn't need to be there. She did not need to be there. It would not have helped her. It's like saying, you know what, I'm gonna get in shape. I'm out of shape, I'm gonna get in shape. I'm gonna run the marathon tomorrow. That would not help me, right? I'd end up with EMS. There's EMS folks in here. I'm sure you've scooped up some people who overestimated their capabilities, you know? We want, we want to be respectful of people's experiences. And I, I would suggest anybody who's been, and it doesn't even need to be a shooting. If somebody's, you know, been assaulted, you know, been, had any kind of traumatic experience, we don't ask questions. We don't mandate it. We don't ask questions. Now, understanding military police, you have your own protocols, right? And there's your own ways of doing it. Dealing with civilians, you have to assume there may be folks that they're just not up for it, and that's okay. They do it at their own pace. Anything else?
All right, well, it's been great being here. Thank you for the Southern hospitality. Take care.